Hello and welcome back, everybody. This is Jared Woodcox, host of the Three Point Threat Podcast. Glad to be back for episode 19 of the show. Um, we're 10 games into the Utah Jazz season. Kind of hard to believe that we're already, you know, about an eighth of the way through the year, if you want to look at it that way. And the Jazz are solidly at five and five. Um, you know, it's been it's been kind of a roller coaster. There's been some highs, definitely some great games, some great plays. Um, also some lows, some disappointing games. Uh, most recently, the loss to the Rockets on Sunday uh, was pretty discouraging for any Jazz fan. But, you know, a lot of good things to talk about, both on the positive and the negative. So for today's show, that's actually exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, for point number one, I'm going to talk about uh, reasons to be worried about the Utah Jazz. I'm going to start out a little bit on my pessimist side and go into some things that aren't all that um, all that reassuring to look at, I guess you could say. Then for point number two, I'm going to flip the switch, flip the coin a little bit, and talk instead about some reasons to be optimistic about the Jazz. You know, obviously with five wins under their belt, um, it's not all doom and gloom despite the recent showings um, against both Houston and Toronto. There's plenty to still be excited and optimistic about with this Jazz team, and I still think their 2017-18 season could be very bright. So that's what I'm going to go over for points one and two. Uh, then finally, for point number three, as we've been doing the past couple of weeks, I'll be giving my preview of the week ahead. Um, obviously, the Jazz, they're at home for four games, three of which will be this week, uh, their fourth week of NBA action. They'll start out against Philadelphia on Tuesday, um, and then they'll also they'll host Miami on Friday the 10th, and then they'll host uh, Brooklyn on Saturday the 11th, a back-to-back there to end the week at home. Um, three very winnable games. I will give my thoughts on each one of those and how I think the Jazz are going to fare for the third and final point. So without further ado, let's get started with episode 19 of the three-point threat. Here's point number one. Point one. So I don't know about the rest of you Jazz fans out there, but this has been kind of a weird season for me. Um, you know, I, I really look at, for one example, I look at the game against the Oklahoma City Thunder and I just thought, wow, the Jazz have arrived. They look phenomenal. This is a team that's going to be better on offense than they thought, and they still have that same stingy defense from last year. Then there's been other games. Um, I mean, the one against Phoenix jumps out at me. Uh, the one against Houston last week. You know, Houston's an elite team. James Harden had a crazy night, um, but in a lot of ways that one still jumps out to me just because of the lack of effort or the lack of cohesion uh, that we saw with the Jazz kind of surprised me. So there's been games where I've been really kind of disappointed in what I've seen out of them, and, and it has me really questioning who this Jazz team is. I think in a lot of ways they're questioning that themselves. I mean, a lot of new faces obviously on the team, a lot of guys adjusting to each other. I really think this team is still searching and still trying to find an identity. And and as I said, that's to be expected. I mean, we're only 10 games in, season's brand new. You know, we have a brand new team as far as, you know, the two leading scorers from last year are gone. And we're trying to figure things out. Um, but with that being said, I do think there are some reasons to really worry about the Jazz. And for this point, I wanted to start out talking about some of those. These are the reasons why Jazz fans ought to be a little bit concerned based on what we've seen so far. And, and the first one of those, you know, he's a guy I've talked about a lot on this show uh, both good and bad. I think those of you that have followed me both in my writing and on here know that I tend to be a little skeptical of him, uh, but that's Rodney Hood. And let me just start out with a bit of a disclaimer. You know, I want Rodney Hood to be successful. The Jazz absolutely need him to be successful, but I've just never really been quite sold on Rodney Hood. And if we look at his past three games, you know, I definitely think he is giving the Jazz some significant reasons to worry. I mean, in those last three games, um, I mean, he had that terrible 0 for 11 night against Portland. Uh, then he was 6 of 19. That's 31% against Toronto. And then I guess, you know, efficiency-wise, you could argue he was a little bit better against Houston. Um, went 5 of 10. 
Um, but just played 26 minutes because obviously the Jazz were not in that game at all. He was just one of six from deep, which is really supposed to be his specialty. It's just not been a good look for Hood the past three games. I hope that it is just a slump, but I really think that he is someone the Jazz need to worry about and Jazz fans should worry about. We were hoping that we would see the transformation of Rodney Hood this year from kind of a role player into more of a go-to guy. And in some ways, it's kind of unfair to expect that growth and that jump right out of the gates. I mean, quite honestly, Rodney Hood doesn't have the same skill sets as a guy like Gordon Hayward had. Um, you know, he has a lot of deficiencies in that area. He's not a great ball handler. Um, he's not great at getting to the line and getting fouled. He's more of just a, a shooter and really a streak shooter at that. But we hope to see more out of Rodney Hood, and perhaps we still could. Um, there's a lot of things that worry me about him. It just feels like when he gets in a slump, he just can't find a way to get out of it. You know, maybe it'd be one thing if Rodney Hood was able to, you know, he's having a bad night, he's having an off night, but he's finding other ways to contribute. But really, he's not reliable on defense. Um, it seems like once he starts missing, it's just a domino, kind of a snowball effect from there. He's not providing a lot of assists or rebounds or other stats. Really, he's so one-dimensional that either Rodney Hood is on and he's doing well for us, or he's really just not benefiting the Jazz in any way. Uh, with that being said, you know, this actually surprised me when I was looking at his stats, and I think it'll surprise some of my listeners as well. But Hood is actually shooting 39.1% from deep, which is an extremely high mark. It's a career high mark for him in this early going. So even with his bad recent games, you know, before that he was shooting quite well. Um, he's at 14.4 points per game, which isn't where we hope to see him this year, but that is right about where he was at in his second season when he had such a promising year. So there are some things about Hood that are actually better than one might think. And, and again, it's early. Maybe Hood's going to turn this around and prove me wrong. Um, but there's just been, you know, there are a lot of things that are worrisome about his game. I already touched on it a little bit, but it just really, really worries me or bothers me that he's not able to get to the line. You know, a lot of the best scorers in the NBA, a lot of the best players, they're able to capitalize on, even when they're having an off shooting night, they know how to get to the rim, they know how to get fouled, they know how to generate points from the free throw line, and Hood has not shown that. Against Portland, zero free throw attempts. Against Toronto, only three free throw attempts. And against Houston, just one. So it's not been something that's been a strong suit for him at all. I just don't know if Rodney Hood has the right skill set, the right mentality to be the guy. You know, if he could be our third or fourth best player um, who's wide open for threes because the defensive attention is on so many other guys, maybe Hood could be phenomenal. But he's not going to beat many guys off the dribble. He's not going to create his own shot very well. And that's absolutely hurting the Jazz as a team and obviously him individually. Like I said, it's. I hope we see improvement from him, but what we've seen right now, I'm just worried that he's not going to be quite the guy that we hoped he was going to be. Another reason that I feel like Jazz fans should be a little bit worried, and, and this one's kind of, um, I guess, two-sided, you could say, but I think Ricky Rubio in some ways is a reason for Jazz fans to worry. And I think a lot of Jazz fans are going to agree with me. I know that Rubio is already a fan favorite. And don't get me wrong, he's doing a lot of great things. I love Ricky Rubio. I'm happy to have him on the team. He's obviously been better than George Hill has been this year, at least you know the George Hill that's been in Sacramento. Or you could argue the George Hill that's always injured like we had last year. Rubio's been great in a lot of ways. He almost single-handedly willed us to victory against Portland. Um, a lot of awesome things. He's also the Jazz's leading scorer right now. But, you know, the thing that, that just worries me, and we knew we had this with Rubio coming in, but it's just his consistency and his, his ability to shoot the ball reliably. You know, we saw recently in both the games against Houston and Toronto, you know, he shot under 30% in both of those. He's gone one of nine in his last, you know, attempts from behind the arc. And the problem with Rubio is that, yes, he'll have a good game like against Portland or, you know, even against Dallas, he shot extremely well. But you just can't rely on him night in and night out to be that kind of guy. 
And, you know, I actually love when Rubio is, is hitting his mid-range shots and taking these smart mid-range shots. But the thing that's been bothering me about Ricky Rubio is I feel like a lot of times he's almost trying now to be the guy that carries the team offensively. He's shooting sometimes early in the shot clock. Um, he's taking threes sometimes that I just don't like. I mean, I'd love it if Rubio was this knockdown three-point shooter, but that's just not what he is. And, you know, I look at his three-point shooting percentage, and he's shooting, you know, almost a career high. Not quite. Uh, his career high is actually in his rookie year. But he's shooting almost a career high from deep at 32.7%. But even that is just not anything astounding, not anything to write home about. Um, you know, his shooting percentage from the field and from deep, for that matter, are both up from last year. But just the fact that Ricky Rubio is not reliable on offense in that in that regard is worrisome. His assists are also way down so far this year, um, not even six per game for a guy who is averaging 8.4 for his career. So I just feel like there's a lot of things to worry about Ricky Rubio. He's been good in a lot of ways, but his inconsistency is also hurting us. And I feel like that is also leaking over to, it's also hurting Rudy Gobert, which is another reason for Jazz fans to be somewhat concerned. You know, just both Rodney Hood and Ricky Rubio, defenses have not had to respect them at all. Both of them have been very, very easy to keep in check. And that has absolutely crowded the middle, crowded the paint. That Gobert is not able to get these easy looks inside as he used to. There's a lot of times where instead of him being able to catch on the pick and roll and go in and score quite easily, he's having to post up and back his way in. And that's unfortunately just not really his game right now. So, you know, the, the inconsistency of our starting backcourt, Rodney Hood and Ricky Rubio, and the fact that Joe Ingles, quite frankly, hasn't done a ton um, on offense for us so far in the season it's really hurting our front court as well. It's making it harder for Gobert to get easy looks, making uh, making it harder for him to be effective in the paint. So those are just some reasons to worry that I think that Jazz fans have to take into consideration. Um, the inconsistency, the, the fact that the defense just hasn't quite been as good as, as we hoped it would be, um, especially in comparison to last year. You know, that was really part of the story against Houston was, I mean, the Jazz scored 110 points, which for their offense is, is typically enough to win games. But when you give up 137 to Houston, I mean, that's just not going to get the job done. Um, so some concerns there, without a doubt. Last thing I want to touch on is, um, you know, two other guys, Derek Favors and Alec Burks. You know, Favors has some promising moments. I mean, he hit two threes in the loss to Houston, which was pretty mind-blowing, to be honest. It was pretty cool to see. But I just feel like he's not the explosive guy in the paint that we, we were used to. Um, he doesn't seem to have that same confidence that he had, um, you know, in 15-16 when he really had a superb year. I would like to see the Jazz try to get Favors more involved and find ways to have him be more aggressive and get to the rim. But it's just not happening. I don't know if there's an issue with him and Gobert coexisting on the court like we've heard rumors about for years. Um, but with that being said, you know, sometimes there's plays where you have a, a Gobert to Favors pass or vice versa, Favors to Gobert pass, and the two just look exceptional. Um, but too much of the time, it's like the two of them just don't know how to be effective on the floor with one another. And I think that's truly hurting the Jazz. Then there's Alec Burks. And, and guys, I know he looks great against Denver. And all of us were starting to get real excited about the season ahead for him. But he has yet to have much of a good game at all since then. Um, you know, I, I actually, there was a tweet from Andy Larson over at KSL that I think, you know, hit the nail on the head. Essentially, he said that he is starting to believe that Burks is unplayable. He just is not in control. He's not a player that Quinn Snyder can trust. He takes bad shots. He's not taking care of the ball very well. And it's not good for us because Burks was hopefully going to be part of our depth, um, someone that would help us out. 
although I guess you could say that a lot of people thought that he wouldn't play much because of Dante Exum. Um, I think the absence of Dante Exum is, is clearly hurting us. We don't know how Exum would have fared this year, to be quite honest, but he looks superb in, in preseason. And now we're having to rely instead on Alec Burks, who just doesn't seem to have it. Again, his defense, kind of like Rodney Hood, is just not not where we need it to be. And I wouldn't be surprised if little by little we start seeing more of Royce O'Neal because at least O'Neal has the defensive prowess that he can remain on the floor, whereas Burks does not. And if Burks is not in control, if he's not finishing at the rim, if he's not helping on offense, there's really no reason to play him because his defense isn't going to save him either. So those are some reasons for concern. Um, but like I said, it's not all doom and gloom for the Jazz. I don't want this show to you know put you all into a depression about the team we have because there's still lots of reasons to be optimistic. So for point number two, that's exactly what I'm going to touch on. Here's some reasons why it's way too early to give up on the Jazz, and there's a lot of good things ahead. Point two. So as soon as I mention the word optimism in relation to the Jazz, I'm 99% sure that the majority of Jazz fans, the first name that's going to pop into your head is Donovan Mitchell. I mean, can you guys believe this guy so far on, on the year? You know, I know he got off to a little bit of a slow start. I've talked about it before that I think part of that just had to do with the fact that, you know, he had been planning all season long that he was going to play side by side with Dante Exum off the bench. And, you know, little by little, he's been put into a bigger role where it's to the point now where I feel like Quinn Snyder trusts Donovan Mitchell even more than Rodney Hood. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's in during clutch moments um, when we need him the most. And especially in the last five games, he's he's really come through. You know, three of those last five, he scored over 20 points, including a career high over uh, in the win over Portland where he put up 28 points. And just in a lot of ways, he has looked phenomenal. Um, also, his shooting percentage is already starting to go up significantly. In the last five games, he shot over 44% from deep, which if he can keep that up, that's going to be incredible. I mean, that's better than, than pretty much anybody else in the Jazz tends to shoot. So I'm really excited about Donovan Mitchell. Um, I honestly think we're going to see him in the starting lineup before too long. I don't know how I feel about sliding Hood to the three uh, or putting Ingles on the bench. I don't know, and maybe it's we keep Ingles as a three and Hood comes off the bench. We saw that last year that, you know, Ingles got the starting spot at the two and Hayward was the three and Rodney Hood ended up coming off the bench. And again, I've talked about this on the show before, but Rodney Hood had that big kind of, I guess you could say it was frustration in his post-game interview where he said, I'm a starter and how he, he thought he deserved to be a starter last year, but he never really played like a starter. So far, Donovan Mitchell is playing a lot more like a starter than what Rodney Hood is doing. So I would not be surprised if maybe that's the route that Quinn Snyder goes. Whatever the case, I've already talked about Hood a lot. I'm kind of harped on him. I want to go back to Mitchell, obviously, because we're, we're talking more optimism now. But I just think that um, the Jazz have found an absolute star in Donovan Mitchell, and he's only going to get better. Um, I do think, obviously, there's things he does need to work on and improve. You know, that's expected of a rookie. Sometimes his shot selection isn't great. I kind of get irritated when he puts one up too early in the shot clock. It seems like every game he's been um, kind of on a roll. He's been shooting well. And then he'll chuck up a heat check shot that, you know, I guess I get why he's doing it. But at the same time, it just seems unnecessary. I'd rather see him continue to play smart. And those baskets are going to come. It's going to help his efficiency. It's going to help his teammates be more trusting of him. He doesn't need to try to do a heat check shot just because he's made two or three threes in a row. He needs to continue to play smart and get the looks that he needs. Another thing that is really good about Donovan Mitchell and pretty impressive, quite honestly, is that he has the highest plus minus on the team right now, which means when he's on the floor, good things are happening. Um, if you ask me, you know, I think he's already more trustworthy than Rodney Hood. Um, you know, Quinn Snyder's decision to play Donovan so much has shown that. 
I also think he's flat out better than Alec Burks right now. Um, you know, despite Burks's experience and all that, I would much rather have Donovan Mitchell in the game in a pinch than Burks. And I think we'd all agree with that. And Gwyn Snyder himself would agree with that. Donovan has looked great. Defensively, he's not a liability. Obviously, he has things to, to work out before he can cover guys like uh, like Damian Lillard or others along those lines. But he's still a great defender and he's going to keep getting better. Um, another reason to be optimistic, and this is kind of a, a broad generic one, but it's the fact that the Jazz are 5-5 five and five right now. If you had told me before the season that the Jazz were going to start out the year 5-5, five and five, you know, without, you know, diving too deep in their schedule or anything like that, I would have told you, yeah, you know what, that sounds about right. Um, regardless of who they're playing, um, you know, we all figured the Jazz were going to need some time to adjust and get used to one another and kind of get things figured out. So a 5-5 five and five record to start out the year is really not bad at all. It's really kind of um, par for the course of what we probably should have expected. I think part of the problem is that we've seen some of their ugly losses, such as the one to the Rockets, the one to the Suns. And so to us, 5-5 five and five sounds bad because, you know, we think I mean, they should have done better in this game or they should have done this differently. But if we step back and kind of just look at the big picture, that it's an 82-game season, that we knew there were going to be adjustments, I really don't think 5-5 five and five is quite as ugly as some of us make it out to be. And like I mentioned, I think if someone had told us before the season, yeah, Jazz are going to start out 5-5, five and five, we would have said, okay, you know, that's that's not bad at all. It could be a lot worse. And that's about where this, you know, new look Jazz team is going to have to start before they really get things rolling. I've mentioned this a couple times both on the show and in my articles on thejnotes.com. Uh, but the Jazz started out last season at 7-8 and eight, um, before they really got going. They went on a pretty big win streak after that. Um, so, you know, that was 15 games in. It'll be interesting to see where the Jazz are at um, this year, 15 games in. Obviously, they're, they're at 10 right now. Their next four are all at home. Then they have a four-game road trip out east, which is against teams that, you know, I think they're very winnable games, you could say, even though the Jazz have looked terrible on the road so far. They've yet to win a game away from Vivint Smart Home Arena. But once we get past those next eight games, you know, this four-game homestand and that four-game uh, road trip, I guess that'll be 18 games in, I think we'll have a really good idea of where the Jazz are at. You know, hopefully they've started to get some momentum. They've started to figure things out. Hopefully... Um, Mitchell, he continues improving. Hopefully, um, Ricky Rubio gets the hang of his teammates and we see him racking up more assists. Hopefully, we see Rudy Gobert more effective in the paint, both on offense and defense. Like I said, I, I'm not going to panic. We're, we're at the uh, the 6th of November. It's very, very early in the year. I think the Jazz are going to get this train righted right away. And, that, and that's really, you know, that's a good transition to my last thing. Um, why we should be optimistic is that we know the team is not playing up to their potential so far. I mean, you saw that game against the Rockets, and that was not a team that we've seen even earlier in the year. We've seen better performances than that. I think that Coach Snyder is going to get this figured out. This Jazz team really does have a lot of potential. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of guys that are very, very capable. And so I think that Jazz fans should remain optimistic because, you know, we're not playing up to our potential just yet. And the team can get so much better. And once they do, and once we lock in on defense the way that we were last year, we're going to be a lot better. Uh, if you guys recall, um, you know, it wasn't really, I mean, Rudy Gobert was great all year long, don't get me wrong. But really it was after the All-Star break that he just ramped it up to a whole new level. And I'm not saying that we can afford this year to wait all the way to the All-Star break to get to that. But what I am saying is that, you know, it might take a little bit more time for this all to click. But once it does, you know, if we have a similar click kind of like we had last year, we could see a team that is just absolutely phenomenal. If the Jazz can get better on defense the way they've been and things like that, uh, there's just no telling how good they're going to be. So, again, the Jazz are not consistent right now. That They're not necessarily polished. We've seen them have some ups and downs. 
Um, I will admit that some of their losses and some of their inconsistency has made me a little bit nervous about whether they will be a playoff team. Um, I know I had them pinned at the beginning of the year to be that. Now I'm just a little bit nervous. I'm not saying that they're out. I'm not trying to overreact. But at the end of the day, this is not the Jazz team that we're going to see at the end of the season. I feel confident saying that they're going to get much better. And I think there's a lot of reasons for Jazz fans to be optimistic because of that. Um, a lot of guys still going to improve. I know that Coach Snyder is going to get this figured out. And don't give up on the Jazz just yet. So those are my thoughts, you know, from point one and two, kind of the negative and the positive. With that, let's jump into the third and final point where I'll take a look at the week ahead and what we can expect from the Utah Jazz. Point three. So last week, in terms of my predictions, um, I did just about as good as the Jazz did. I, I got two of the games right, just as they won two of the games. Um, you know, they defeated Dallas just as I suspected they would, and they lost to the Rockets as I predicted. I actually had the Ra uh, excuse me the Raptors and the Blazers games mixed up. I thought the Jazz would uh, lose to the Blazers and then go on to beat the Raptors, considering that the Raptors were playing their sixth game straight on the road. Kind of a you know kind of a, a tough way to start out the year for the Raptors. But as it turned out, the uh, the Jazz were able to get past the the, the Trailblazers in overtime in what was honestly a candidate for one of the best games of the year. That was absolutely phenomenal. Both Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell went absolutely insane. I, I loved watching that game. But then against the Raptors, you know, it wasn't the Raptors that looked flat-footed. It was more the Jazz that did. Um, so kind of an interesting week in that regard. Jazz went 2-2, two and two, which is, is why they're now 5-5. Five and five. You know, I guess I talked about how inconsistent they are, but if they keep up this 500 record, maybe you could say they're they're very consistent. They keep, you know, staying, staying that course of a 500 record. But no, I think the Jazz are going to get above 500 this week. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, they have three games um, at home in this fourth week of NBA action. Um, and I'll start out first and foremost on Tuesday. They will be playing the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, for years, when you saw the Sixers on your schedule, you know, in, in recent years, that was when you circled as, okay, cool, there's an easy win. Unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. I mean, the, the 76ers are starting to turn it on. Uh, they're, they're healthy for the most part. I know that Markel Fultz has been struggling with his shoulder injury. That's, that's all kind of a weird deal. Um, but he hasn't been hugely impactful for them anyway. Uh, but their other guys have been looking really sharp. The one thing that's going to be, you know, beneficial for the Jazz, and I actually don't like to see this because I wanted to see him and Gobert going against each other, but uh, Joel Embiid will not be playing um, in this game against Utah. Um, you know, they said he was he was sitting out for load management, um, which I guess we can assume is, is just a fancy way of saying they're resting him. Um, don't want him to rack up too many minutes as he tries to recover from, um, you know, several lingering injuries there. Um, but Embiid has been impressive on the year, and that's really going to hurt the Sixers to not have him. But even without him, I think the Jazz are very much going to be tested by this Philadelphia team. I mean, Ben Simmons has been incredible. I think so far Ben Simmons is the front runner for Rookie of the Year. Um, you know, unfortunately for Donovan Mitchell, uh, Simmons is just a, a crazy talent, um, and he has had a year to kind of be around an NBA system and you really get accustomed to to different things in the league and with his team. Um, so I do think Simmons is the front runner for Rookie of the Year, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Jazz contain him. Um, he's been kind of an interesting player to me. You know, he's not a guy that's knocking down threes. He, he's more of a more of a scorer in other ways, um, but he's putting up 18 points per game. Um, he's almost averaging a triple-double. He gets lots of rebounds and assists. He really does it all. Uh, so the Jazz, like I said, they're going to be tested. They're going to be in for a challenge against him. Um, they recently beat the Houston Rockets in Houston. So this is a team that can really sneak up on you. They have some pieces and they have some players that are really competing hard. That's the thing I like about them. And, and even when they were bad, they weren't a team that was necessarily giving up. 
they just didn't have any talent. Now they still have the same resolve, um, but they actually have some talent mixed in with it, and so they can be pretty dangerous. Um, so like I said, even without Embiid, the Jazz have to be careful. But also with that being said, with him out, I do think the Jazz will come out on top. You know, as good as Simmons is, he is still a rookie. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of, you know, off nights, going to be a lot of learning curves there with him and with the rest of the guys around him. They're still pretty young and inexperienced for the most part. So I'm feeling really good about Utah's chances in this one. I do think they log a win against the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, then they'll, they'll benefit from two days off. Uh, they won't play again until Friday the 10th. Um, against the Miami Heat, and the Heat have been kind of an interesting team this year. Um, you know, they hadn't, they didn't really have much of a statement win until um, just on Sunday night when they beat the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, so I'll talk about that shortly. Before that, it was just kind of like, you know, the teams you expected them to beat, they would beat, and the teams that you expected would beat them, beat them. They weren't really showing much resistance. But then they had an impressive win against the Clippers. That you know, they were up big. The Clippers fought back, but the Heat were able to stave them off. Um, last year, the Heat ended up the year as, as one of the hottest teams in the league, and you know I think Eric Spolster is a good coach. He's gonna he's gonna make sure they're right in the mix of, of the uh, of the playoff teams in the East. Um, and also, it should be noted it should be noted as well that early in the year they struggled a little bit without Hassan Whiteside, who was dealing with injury. Um, but as I said, with that win over the Clippers last night, they really showed some signs of life, and I think the Heat are going to be a good team. Have a lot of talent there in James Johnson and Goran Dragic and Dion Waiters. Um, so the Jazz have to be ready for this team. There's no way they can sleep on them. And um, I'm a little bit superstitious, I guess, because I feel like every time I predict the Jazz to go undefeated, um, it ends up coming back to haunt me. Um, so I really do think the Jazz can, and maybe even I'd go as far as saying they should win this game. Um, but out of sake of not wanting to jinx them with a prediction of 3-0, and I'm actually going to pin them, the Heat as winners in this one. And aside from my dumb superstition, um, I also am going to pin the Jazz as winners because I think that Hassan Whiteside is going to come in with a chip on his shoulder big time. And, you know, I realize that Rudy Gobert has fared relatively well against Hassan Whiteside in the past. Um, but Whiteside is playing very well this year. And I'm going to be frank with you guys. I have not been overly impressed with Gobert so far this year. And, you know, I think Whiteside's looking at this matchup as one. You know, Gobert has been picked above him as Defensive Player of the Year um, this past year. You know, he finished higher in voting. Um, he was also um, recognized several All-NBA awards, which uh, he, he did above Whiteside once again. So I think Whiteside's going to really want to prove himself. And, you know, Jazz fans are going to hate me for this. I know there's a lot of people that will go to their graves saying Whiteside's better than Gobert. I'm not one of those people. Um, but I just think that Whiteside may get the better of us um, in this game. I think he's going to come in focused. And like I said, I'd love to see maybe this will be Gobert's breakout game as he wants to make sure everyone knows that he is indeed better than Whiteside. I hope that becomes the case. Um, but I'm a little nervous about this one, and I think the Heat are going to come out on top. If you recall, last year, uh, they were able to do so. They beat the Jazz just narrowly in Salt Lake. It was kind of a surprise loss, um, and, and I can see him doing that again, something along those same lines. So, unfortunately, I'm going to kind of lean on my pessimist side and pick Miami to win that one. Um, last game of the week will be on Saturday um, against the Brooklyn Nets. And first thing I want to say about Brooklyn is I'm just so sad to see Jeremy Lin go out. That was a sad, sad injury the way that all, plan that all played out. Uh, but I like a lot of guys on this Brooklyn team. You know, I think Hollis Jefferson is going to have a, a promising NBA career. Um, I like Alan Crabb. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. Of course, Trevor Booker, who's a favorite of pretty much all Jazz fans. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, um, not necessarily my favorite guy by any means, but he, I think he's playing very well. And hopefully you can continue to do so for Brooklyn. They will need him to. Um, but again, kind of like Philadelphia, um, you know, playing the Brooklyn Nets is no longer an automatic win. 
Um, the Nets aren't as good as the Sixers, at, at least from what we've seen so far. Um, so I do think it is one the Jazz should win. But again, this isn't a team that you can sleep on. This isn't a team you can just overlook. They have some vets that are solid. You know, Damari Carroll. Obviously, Jazz fans are very familiar with him. And Trevor Booker, who I mentioned, always brings energy and helps his teams be better. Um, so this is a team that they, they're going to be you know, a lot more competitive this year than they've been in recent years. I guess the one concern I have about this one is it is the second night of a back-to-back for the Jazz. And you know, last time that was the case was that terrible, terrible loss to the Phoenix Suns. Um, which, you know, I know we kind of use second out of back-to-back as an excuse or a crutch sometimes. But then again, remember that it was on the second out of back-to-back that the Jazz just killed the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I'm a little worried about that. I'm hoping the Jazz don't come out flat-footed and just overlook this Brooklyn team. But even with that all being the case, I just don't think there's any way the Jazz dropped this one. They've played very well at home, uh, the game against Toronto aside. And the Nets just don't have the depth or the overall talent to really keep up with a team like the Jazz. So I do think Utah will win this one. Uh, therefore, I have them going 2-1 and one on the week. If that ends up being the case, they will end the week at 7-6. and six. And if you recall, last year I mentioned they started at 7-8. and eight, So we'll see. Maybe if they go 7-6 and six by the end of this week, um, they can best that 7-8 and eight mark uh, by next week. It'll be interesting to see. It's going to be fun to compare this year's team to last year all throughout the season. Um, I will say this, I do know that the Jazz can go 3-0. and Obviously, I really teetered back and forth my prediction for that Miami game. I think the Jazz really can beat them, and like I said, I think they should beat them. Uh, but just the Jazz's inconsistency so far has me a little bit worried that that's going to be the game that they drop. And I hope I'm wrong, um, but for the sake of this prediction, I am going to keep my prediction at 2-1 and for the week. So with that being said, you know I think I've covered the upcoming week relatively well. Glad you guys could join me on the show this time. You know, next week I'm looking forward to taking a look at the Jazz's last home game of this four-game stand, and then they'll be on this four-game road trip. It's going to be a really, really important um, stretch for them, a really good proving ground. We'll really find out what this team is all about. So that's going to do it for today's show. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Jared Woodcox, as well as at 3P Threat Podcast. Make sure you're staying up with all the the podcasts, all the shows I've been doing. Um, Pretty awesome. The next week's going to be the 20th episode, so I hope you'll join me for that as well. And then also make sure you're following on Twitter, at the J Notes. That's where me and my team um, on Fansided, we have all the best jazz news for you. Would love to keep you guys engaged on there. If there's anything you want me to cover on the three-point threat, be sure to hit me up on Twitter um, or on one of the posts on the J Notes. So that's going to do it, guys. Hope you have a great night. Looking forward to a fun week ahead for the jazz.